Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Horn Shoe Podcast. In this episode, you're introduced to Travis Mills. Travis Mills has an incredible story, and he is one of five soldiers to survive a quadruple amputation injury that he sustained in combat. He, we chat all about the highs and the lows and what ultimately helped him get through that that very difficult time in his life. Um, it's such an inspirational story, and I'm excited for Travis to share it with you. Travis is also the president of the Travis Mills Foundation. The Travis Mills Foundation is one of the organizations that we are raising money for throughout the month of November for Honor Month. Travis talks all about what that money does for his organization and how many soldiers it helps out every single year. So if you would love to donate to that organization, just Google search Travis Mills Foundation, make a donation directly to that uh, company. And uh, we just appreciate your support so much. And so much, so does Travis. So without further ado, let's get to Travis's unbelievable story. And uh, before uh, we hop into the episode, here's just a quick message from our sponsor. Is your nutrition preventing you from reaching your goals? Do you enjoy eating healthy, but don't enjoy or have the time for all the prep work? If so, then I highly recommend checking out Lean Feast. Lean Feast is the premier meal prep service in the Madison area. They take out all the guesswork and provide you with quick, healthy meals on your schedule. The best part, you get to choose what goes into your meal and how many you purchase. Let's say you struggle with eating healthy lunches during the work week. Then you could go there, purchase five lunches, and eliminate that struggle. The meals take three minutes to warm up via microwave or stovetop, and then they are ready to eat. Season with your favorite spices to add your own little flair. Gone are the days of running to the drive-thru or skipping meals altogether because you failed to plan. Head over to Lean Feast today and use promo code OSPODCAST for 10% off every order. You will not regret this decision. Hey, Travis. Thanks, man, for uh, joining me today on the Orange Shoe Podcast. I'm excited for um, actually to introduce you to, um, or actually introduce you to all our clients and all the other people that listen to the Orange Shoe Podcast. Um, get a little, learn a little bit about your story. Learn a lot about your organization and all the people that you're helping, and all the vets you're helping, and um, kind of just uh, you know get, get everybody that warm and fuzzy and, and understand why it's so important to raise this money for your foundation and for Operation Delta Dog. So thanks, Travis, man, for joining me today um, on the Orange Shoe Podcast and taking time out of your day. Hey, thanks for having me, champion. I'll tell you what, I'm excited to be here. Can't wait to talk to, you know, whatever you want me to tell you. And uh, <laughs> um, I do I do wonder, where'd you get the name for the podcast? I, I did want to ask that. Yeah, so our podcast is actually the name of our personal training studio. So our franchise is uh, Orange Shoe is a franchise of 11 personal training studios and in the Midwest. And so the, the, the short story of it was that guy that first initially started the franchise had, he knew you want, he wanted to, he was in pharmaceuticals. He's like, pharmaceuticals are killing people. How do I start like doing something to like, let's go ahead and get into the front of the problem. Um, and let's just start training people, right? Getting people healthy. And so he's like, I want to start a personal training franchise. And he didn't know what to call it. And he happened to be wearing orange shoes. And he's like, hey, let's just call it Orange Shoe Personal Fitness. It works well with the branding, all the trainers, all the owners will wear orange shoes when they're training. So that's kind of how it all started. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, no, I, I just was wondering. Um, I might have had that in my notes, actually. But I didn't know if you like talking about that. You're supposed to be the one interviewing me. I get that, but I'm not good at that. Sometimes. No, I like so the I back talk. and forth. Yeah, I know. I love it. I love it. It makes it a lot easier on my end, too. We could go to the back back and forth route. So, yeah, so just an update. So everyone that's listening, as you um, knew as well. So um, we have raised a total of close to $17,000 so far in the last few weeks uh, for your foundation, the Travis Mills Foundation, as well as Operation Delta Dog, which I just actually just saw in your guys' post. You guys just actually um, gifted a dog to a veteran as well. Um, I don't know if you guys use Operation Delta Dog. I know there's a bunch of other organizations that do service dogs and stuff. Um, who um, was that Operation Delta Dog or was that a different organization? Do you know? I tell you what, I uh, I don't know necessarily who that was. I know that was up for a bid um, on an auction item for our gala from two years ago, and we had a donor that paid for the training. Like they were passionate about it, and then they got the dog delivered um, recently. But I couldn't tell you who we partnered with. I probably should know that, right? Yeah, that's hey right man. One. There's a lot but, of uh, there's yeah. a lot of balls in the air, man. You can only keep your eye on a couple of them. Yeah, yeah. No, I I um. You know, I've been fortunate where I uh, hired an incredible staff and we were able to do a lot of great things, but I'm not necessarily boots on the ground every day um, in the foundation, um, you know, at the office uh, necessarily. I'm, I'm more of a 15,000 foot view. I'm not 30,000 foot by any means, but I'm also not like um, yeah. kind of in the trench 
uh, every day. I'm there for when they need me, and I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur myself. So if uh, you know if I don't come home and start a new business uh, that day, my wife's pretty pretty happy. <laughs> All right, man. So I would love for um, you to kind of tell you, I know you've told your story plenty of times. Um, everyone could read your book, um, which I, I read, which is an amazing book. Um, talk about an emotional roller coaster, you know, from the highs, the lows, the laughs, the everything um, is a, a fantastic book. And uh, it was well written. Great job on that. Cause I couldn't even imagine what it's like to write a book and the process that was. Um, so great job on that. And um, I would love for you to, uh, for those that don't know who you are and what your organization is, I would love for you to give us that quick little, you know, just tell me your story and, and what led you to where you are today and doing what you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. So it all started back in 1987 uh, when my parents had their favorite child, uh, me, out of the three of us, and um, grew up in a small town, played sports like a lot of people in small towns do, realized that college wasn't my jam. And I wasn't ready to uh, to really focus and take the time that is needed to actually do college the right way. So I decided to join the military and um, figured I'd circle back to college later on. And while I was in, you know, the uh, the army, I made it on three deployments. Uh, the first one was a 15 month deployment to Afghanistan. You know, uh, met my wife through MySpace. As crazy as that sounds, on my first deployment, uh, came back, got married. And then my second deployment, we got a lot more action with uh, the 82nd in Afghanistan, a lot more firefights and um, grenades and all that fun stuff. Took four real showers in a year, which people find it hard to believe. But when you don't have a shower to take, you can't take it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, came back. We had our daughter, uh, my first child, and then we bought a house. I got promoted to staff sergeant. And uh, I deployed for my third time to Afghanistan in late February of 2012. And, you know, the first day in the country was a massive firefight and, you know, a real testament to to uh, our unit. We were in 80 percent of the, the troops in contacts, the ticks while we were there. And, you know, first day was was, you know, just all out chaos. And the second day was the same. And third day again. And, you know, we were really good about controlling the battle space and um, ended up a month and a half into deployment going on a patrol. And while we were out there you know, we uh, came to a short hold. I was a staff sergeant at the time and I was the weapon squad leader. So I was in charge of the 240 Bravos, which are the big guns, um, you know, that, that rained down the most firepower, fi firepower on the battlefield. And they were targeting our team. And unfortunately the, the IEDs that they placed um, ended up underneath one of my backpacks and my backpack set off a bomb. And I went from a six foot three, you know, leader of combat soldiers, um, third highest ranking non-commissioned officer in my platoon out of 40 um, people to literally no arms, no legs. Um, I was injured to the point where my right arm was gone, my right leg was gone, and my left leg was was dangling. And uh, they got me on a stretcher uh, onto a helicopter, and they took me into 14 hours of surgery. And during that surgery, they gave me 400 units of blood, which is most blood really ever given at the time to anybody they were donating blood from their veins the doctors and nurses as well as having people run to the kandahar hospital door and give a positive universal blood and um i was able to make it through my injuries as a triple amputee and then two days after that on april 12th i was in bagram they flew me there and i happened to have my skin dye on my hand so they had to cut it off so now i am in fact one of five surviving quadruple amputees um you know, woke up two days later on April 14th, uh, which was my 25th birthday to find out the aftermath of what happened. And, you know, all these questions were swirling. Am I a bad person? Does God hate me? What did I wrong life deserve this? Um, you know, I was questioning how can I be a father and a husband? And, you know, the biggest thing I was just wondering, like, why didn't I just die? Like, how is how is this better? You know, what mm -hmm. what kind of quality am I going to have in my my wife and my kid? You know, my daughter, Chloe, like, what kind of life am I going to have for them? You know, I'm just going to be a burden now. And that's the only thing I could think about for the first um, uh, few hours I was awake. You know, I was ignoring the doctors and the nurses and my brother-in-law who's in the army. Uh, he was with me because um, if I died, he was supposed to escort my body back to my family and my wife. And, you know, and, um, you know, he finally chimed in and, and told me I had to call my parents, and my wife. And I said, OK, I will. So I called my wife and the only thing I said was, hey, what's up? I'm fine. You know, love you. Bye. I didn't really want to have a conversation with her. 
And the, my parents about the same conversation happened. And I made it back to the States on the 17th of April, um, a week after my injury. And my wife saw me for the first time. And before we even got to talk, they made her sign a, uh, a waiver to do emergency surgery to cut my right leg higher because my sutures ripped open my, my, you know, stitches, they split open. And, you know, I can only imagine at 23 with a six month old on your hip, you know, the motions that she must've had is I'm yelling from the bed. Hey, it's fine. Just sign it. Just sign the paperwork. It's okay. <laughs> you know? And that led me up to the next day where I told her she should take everything we have and go and financially, whatever I had was hers and I'll support her and Chloe forever, but not in life I'll choose for and I, I know I'm really breezing over this um, and we'll take a pause. I love hearing myself talk. That's the one thing about me. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, that, that was, that, that's the, what happened to me, you know? And then I had, um, you know, 19 months of recovery at Walter Reed where, you know, I went from, from having nothing and losing 110 pounds, uh, not having the ability to feed myself or dress myself or use a restroom by myself, um, having people literally, you know, give me, a sponge bath and, and stuff. I mean, it was, it was pretty depressing. Um, for five weeks, I, I had to wait to get my, you know, my uh, stitches in my body to heal up enough to get a prosthetic arm so I could start to regain independence. But it was probably the lowest part of my life. Yeah, man. I, you know, and you couldn't even imagine it. And it's, you know, I remember just going all the way back from when the IED went off, you know, and I remember you were actually on Jocko's podcast and it was pretty funny. You guys were talking about how you said the IED didn't knock you out, but you had actually like knocked yourself out once with your own hand, I think. <laughs> and it got really intense and I kept throwing my hand over the net and I got mad. So I brought it back fast and furious. Like and I knocked myself clean out. Um, it's the only fight I've ever been in. I've won and I've lost. So I'm <laughs> not sure if that's good. You know, the bomb was built for a truck. Um, and it, I mean, I was awake the whole time. They had to medically sedate me on the operating table because I kept trying to like sit up. And the nurse was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> I told her, I said, I just get my feet back underneath me. Like, get away from me. I get back to my guy. She's like, you need to go to sleep, bud. And not, you know, yeah. You know. yeah, I know. And with that, you know, um, this is a testament to type of leader you were, right? When you hit that bomb and that ID went off and you're obviously very injured, you're still, you know, asking where you guys are. And anybody that knows anything about the military and being a leader, and I only made, I made it to E5 in a, in a CAV unit. And so I was in that leadership position as well. And when you're in that leader leadership position, that's all you're thinking about is your guys, right? Like that is, that is what you do. That is like who you are. And you want to make sure that, you know, they're eating first, they're going to sleep first and everything they got is first, right? And are they okay? And that's all you were saying. That's all you're asking. That's all you wanted to know where are my guys. All right. You know, and that's just a huge testament of, you know, who you were as a leader. And it was just, you know, said so much about you. Well, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I, uh, I know. Yeah, no, it's not a real thing. Cause that doesn't make sense, but I, um, I was injured. I didn't think I was going to make it. And I thought, don't waste your time on me. So I told the medic to save my guys. And I thought I'd be over. I, I thought I would die quick compared to mm -hmm. what I've seen before overseas. And I thought my injuries, you know, my injuries were way worse than a lot of things I saw. So like no way that I was going to live anyways. Um, and I told him, don't worry about it. And I just kept myself calm and cool and collected because I didn't want to be like the guy in saving private Ryan that gets shot in the stomach that begs for his mom and begs not to die, but ultimately dies. Yeah. And my medics, obviously, like, they ignored me. My team sergeant, they put tourniquets on me. They worked on the other guys as well. Uh, I was on the helicopter, and the flight medic wasn't listening to me. And uh, one of my guys was yelling out in pain. He had every right to. I mean, he was, he was dinged up, too. And I yelled at the flight medic, take his helmet off. And about the third time I said it, I got my arm out of the strap. And it was bone up real bad at the wrist. So it was kind of my hand was dangling. But I swung it over my head and made a motion. And I told, you know, take your helmet off. And, of course, I said some other choice words than that. But we're uh, going to go there. And he saw me. <laughs> Helmet off, say, hey, give my guys water. Tell them they're going to be fine. You know, and, you know, and uh, the medic actually wrote a really nice letter I put in, into uh, my book, uh, um, Tough as They Come. And when you said how I wrote a book, it's real easy. Just like high school, I had someone else do it. His name is Marcus Brothers. Great. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would need too, man. I hated English class, punctuation and commas and, and all that stuff. I don't, my wife still makes fun of me when I make posts on our social media. And I always have to have her read it before I post it because she's like, that's all messed up. Like no one's, that's one huge run on sentence. And I'm like, I don't know. That seems pretty good to me. <laughs> I read it how I, like I write it, how I would read it and how I would say it. Yeah. And everything's a noun. They're like, what's a noun? Person, place, or thing. Everything's a thing. So I'm like, everything's a noun. It's a noun. They're like, no, it's not. I'm like, it's what makes it a noun. So I'm with you. You and me, same team here, bud. Yeah, same there team. we go. 
Hey, one team, one fight, right? Army. Um, so with that, um, you know, what did they, what did they attribute you, you know, surviving that too? Because obviously, I mean, so much blood loss and I know, I think it said in the book was like clauterization. It kind of had happened as well, um, from the blast and that it kind of like stopped some of the blood, blood loss as well. And was it just the medical team and how fast you were able to get help and then how fast you were on a bird and getting to a hospital and whatnot? Like, what did they all attribute that to? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of factors, um, you know, the first being the uh, the medic was close and the platoon sergeant was close. So like tourniquets when like within 40 seconds was tourniquets, so, like just clamping down everything, keep what he's got and leave it in, you know, above the wound, all the training you do. Yep. Um, and then also, I think, you know, getting a helicopter there quick and they put a sternum IV in like they literally, mm. you know, needle just like yeah, came right that, down. And- yeah, that's a nasty, nasty procedure. Yeah, that's the only part that actually hurt me. I remember that's the only one I was like, oh, that that really hurt. <laughs> you know? Um, and like they had to like really hammer it down into me, but they got me fluids. And then in the hospital, one of the nurses that worked on me actually is a friend of mine now. She like works on my foundation. And um, you know, she said she can recall saying, like, why did we even like like what what life is this guy gonna have? You know, and she said she feels embarrassed. She said it, and I said, No, trust me, I had the same thought when I woke up, like, what life am I going to have? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I think battlefield medicine has come a long way. You know, like a lady one time was like, you know, we didn't see a lot of guys like you back in Vietnam era. And I'm like, yeah, well, they, they, unfortunately they died because of their injuries. Whereas mm-hmm. battlefield, medicine, you know, made it possible for guys like myself to live. Yeah. And I know, you know, you're talking about, and it's crazy, you know, the whole, um, you know, it's when you're in the hospital recovering, And, you know, and I think now this, you know, the term phantom pain has been, you know, something that is more, um, people know about it more due to, you know, the, the war and soldiers and, um, and you just had a nasty bout of that, right? Like you were, and you underwent a procedure called was like a ketamine coma. And I found that really interesting. And at that point, when you had it, there was only, I think like 30 other people they had done it for at that point and yeah. that seemed to that yeah. that seemed to really reset reset your system and and then you know to this day do you still experience phantom pains and are they you know um or did that ketamine coma really kind of reset the system yeah so they were worried about me being either in chronic pain the rest of my life because i felt like my, my feet were on fire i was getting spikes driven through my my uh heels my hands were burning um, just real bad pain. And they would try all these different case studies, they called them. So it was experimental. I had to sign off on every single one. They had like three they did, like lidocaine drip or something in my spine and a couple other ones. And then this one, they were like, hey, look, it's only the second person in the nation to ever have it. And um, 30th in the world. And they said, you know, but we don't know what's going to do to them. And they gave me 600 milligrams an hour for five days straight. And as they did that, uh, you know, I was in a coma, like medically induced coma. And when I woke up, like, um, I back, like my brain was fried. I was talking slow and groggy and nothing made sense. I was hallucinating like, uh, uh, crazy. But as the drugs wore off 10, you know, 10 days later, uh, from hallucinations, my pain wasn't there, um, as bad. And they had me on this Lyrica and, uh, I, um, oxys or Dilaudids or whatever. But then, um, like the phantom limp pain was gone. It was just more about controlling like the aches and the pains and, and the things my body was going through and it, it, it totally worked. So now it's like a normal practice actually at hospitals for people with amputations, give them ketamine. Now they don't do the coma as much. Uh, that's drastic compared to like um, they do conscious ketamine um, to reset. But what it did was reset my brain to think that where my nerves end and my, my limbs is where they end instead of, you know, trying to redirect to go find my hand like three or four or five times. It just says, Oh, this is where his nerve ends and comes back. So, you know, I have a documentary called Travis, the soldier story that was out in 2014 and we filmed it so close to when I had that done that in the documentary say, I'm not sure if I'd do that again, cause that hurt. But looking back, I would absolutely do it again because here I am 10 years later, no, no pain, uh, family pain, no, ang- um, no anger. I have no anger ever, but, uh, <laughs> No aches and pains, I was going to say. And I don't have any medication I'm on. I'm not on any medication. I, I quit That's at cold awesome. turkey six. I was just like, I'm done with this. And Kelsey, my wife, was like, you can't do that. I'm like, no, I'm done. So I just quit it. I was like, I'm out. So I, I quit taking my medication, um, you know, about six months in. Yeah. 
And that's huge because, you know, we hear too many sad stories. I had a, a bunch of guys that I served with that got injured and got on, you know, all these, all these narcotics and stuff afterwards and ended up, you know, getting into hard drugs and committing suicide, you know, because they just couldn't battle the demons that they had. And, and because they, it just kind of all started from these drugs that they were put on. And, um, you know, we had a lot of clients, you know, um, I was excited to get you on the podcast and obviously they've been hearing a lot about the Travis Mills foundation. And, um, I was telling them that I'd be interviewing you and just kind of, you know, getting, you know, clients and clients were asking me questions, you know, and like, and obviously they hear a lot about, you know, guys that struggle with a lot of PTSD and, and they come home and they get into, they get into the bottle, they get into drugs. Um, it gets into harder. They're, they're just, um, they're not living life. They're just there, you know, they're not, you know, flourishing and, and they're just having a really tough time. And, and a lot of the clients, when I was telling them a little bit about your story, um, they were all kind of had that question. And it's just like, you know, man, how did he keep such a positive mindset? You know, how did he, you know, um, you know, you know, go through all that rehabilitation and go through all that and, and, and be to where he is today. And, um, you know, and I, I explained to the clients that, you know, it wasn't like that from the start, right? Like you had some really dark moments, you know, in the beginning and, um, you know, obviously oh. saying like, you know, being, am I going to be a dad? Am I, how am I going to be a husband? You know, how would I take care of my parent? How, how to take care of my wife? You know, cause as, as men, that's, you know, that's who we are, right. That's how we, that's how we grow up. That's how we feel like, and now you feel like you got all that taken away from you. And, you know, I couldn't even imagine, you know, my wife and, you know, saying like, you know, like, you know, are they going to leave me because of my injuries? And, you know, you obviously had your dark periods, but what was that guiding light for you, you know, throughout that whole thing? Was it your daughter? Was it your wife? Was it, you know, your whole family who, you know, what was that guiding light for you to be like, you know, I ain't, I'm not going to become a statistic. I'm going to be, and I'm going to, you know, make the best of this and I'm going to charge forward and, and continue living my life how I see fit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a lot of things that went into it. There was obviously, I was at Walter Reed where I had a whole group of people just like me um, battling back from injuries. There was my daughter who was six months old was probably my biggest uh, reason because my wife said she's not going to leave me and we're going to get through together. Like I had those two by my side and I learned how to walk with my daughter. I learned how to rehabilitate. And once I, I realized like, look, no matter how many times I hope this and wish and pray this doesn't, this wasn't the outcome. This is the outcome. Like there's no changing that this happened. And I had one guy one time tell me I was part of, the, you know, you're part of the everything's great club. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? He goes, well, you exactly everything's great. You got Norm's legs, but everything's just so great. And he was missing both legs. And I said, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. I, I, I am part of that club because I've lost really good friends that didn't have the chance to be there with their, their kids and their, and their spouse and their family. I have the ability to realize I have at least 50 years left, you know, before I was at the time going to be 75. And I said, so I might as well make the best of them because that's what I have left. Like, you know, I can sit here and dwell on it, but it's not going to change what happened. And then as far as, you know, pushing forward, I just I don't see myself as handicapped. I mean, yeah, I take handicap parking because I'm in the cool kids club, yeah. um, I get, but I don't see myself any different. So, uh, you know, for me, it's just like a few extra steps in the morning. Right. Everybody gets up. They, you know, put on their pants and their shirt and they go. I put my legs on then my pants. I put my shirt on then my arm, you know, and, and then I go by my day and I don't. I don't let my norms, no legs be the reason that I'm like, Oh geez, I get norms and legs. I do. I have, I have prosthetics, you know, I have prosthetics that, that get me through. I, I can drive, I can feed myself. I can, you know, I still need help with my legs on. Don't be wrong. Like I have five minutes of my day that I, I have to ask for help get my legs on. And there's other things throughout the day I have to ask for help for, but the moment I was able to just say, well, you know, this is me and this is how we're going to go about it. Um, life got better. And you know, we started the foundation to give that um, that hope and inspiration to people, but also let them know, don't live life on the sidelines. Don't be, you know, not getting involved, like be active in your community, in your society, your family. And I think one of the worst things out there for veterans is that negative stigma about like, oh, you're a veteran. What's wrong? And it's like, mm -hmm. oh, you got that PTA. Do you have? And it's like, no, no, I sleep fine. I've killed people. It is what it is. Um buddies died you know i lost my arms and legs and uh, i i sleep just fine you know i don't worry about that stuff like that's just part of my life and then you know it was like oh you're one of those wounded guys and i'm like i hate that too no <laughs> offense today but like i hate the idea that i gotta have that pity of like oh you're one of those and it's like i used to be i was wounded yeah sure i had scars um that have replaced those wounds because i've healed now if anything i'm recalibrated um you know because i just think there's such a negative stigma or feeling towards like oh you're a vet you got that you got that push max stress oh you're gonna you know like and i hate i absolutely 
I don't know. Like I get people need help and I want to help people. Um, that's what we do at the foundation. We have the, you know, the people that have push mattress or that have um, a physical injury like mine and their families. And we do that, but just the negative connotations that come out of being a veteran right now just irritates me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, talking about, you know, how has, you know, from the moment you hit the ID to today, how has your spirituality and like your faith like changed? And I know you went through some dark times with that, like, you know, asking God, like, why me, why this, you know, how has um, your faith and your spirituality kind of like changed and morphed uh, throughout the process to to where you are today? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's pretty easy to um, be upset about like, it's pretty easy to be upset, right. When you get blown up and you, and you question like why this, I'd hate me. And then when you peel it all back, you gotta just, I can't just, um, believer when everything's like going my way right like i can't just like that's that's not how it really works so just kind of had to settle in and say well if uh this is what has to happen at least i was saved um to, you know and live another day to uh go out there and do the best i can to make the world a better place and um you know i tell people honestly i lost my chance to serve my country i lost it uh it was the greatest job i ever had easily yeah i mean right being a dad's a great job and a husband, <laughs> i get that but i'm saying like for a paycheck the the best job i had was was the military and and i would hope to have served 20 plus years uh it just didn't happen that way so that's why kelsey and i decided you know what we are fortunate to be able to have the travis mills foundation that we started and to give back to veterans and their families we started it thinking we'll donate five thousand dollars from ourselves um we'll do care packages overseas to the guys i was in you know, the service with and their brand new units that they're in because they're all and send them, send them legit shit and not get the, yeah, (laughs) dude, I got, I got a story for you, man, about care packages. And and just as probably be able to relate to, I had, uh, we were, (laughs) we all got a, we got, we were in, uh, I was in Nuristan, uh, Afghanistan, kind of like Northeast, uh, province up there. And we all, one day, man, we come off a mission, we got these care packages and they all say, uh, Girl Scouts. Right. So, and their box, the boxes were the shapes of Girl Scout cookies. Like it looks like they could put like a whole, like 12 boxes of Girl Scout cookies. So we're all fucking stoked. We're like Girl Scout cookies. Hell yeah. We're about to like, give me the caramel delights. Give me the, you know, the mints, give me this. Right. So we're all stoked. So one guy's like, all right, guys, I'm ripping this shit open. We're going to eat these cookies. He opens the box and it's just full of toothpaste and toothbrushes. Everybody's pissed off. They're like, "What? These Girl Scouts just did us wrong. Like, what? They're gonna put a, you know, they're gonna send us cookies. That's what they're known for." So the next day, another another helicopter comes in and drops off some more boxes, and it says Girl Scouts of America again. We're like, "Ah, all right, here we go. Here's the cookies, right? They just wanted us to make sure we're brushing our teeth after we're eating all this sugar, right? So we rip open the box, um, deodorant and stuff that we were like, no, we just wanted the Girl Scout cookies." And then we had this big old bin that we would dump all our like care packages into just to share all our shit with our platoon because we get so many packages. So we just had like one big box that one of the guys just made. Well, one, one moment, uh, our base was getting attacked. And so we all have to go. We had a, it was just a small little fob. So we were the security for the base as well. So we're all like man in our positions. We all come back after the whole horror deal was done and we're like, oh, we're all hungry. So we're like, oh, let's go grab some snacks out of a little box. Right. All of the interpreters and the ANA, when we were like defending the base, went and raided our fucking little like treat box and stole everything from us. Like literally emptied the whole thing out. We were so pissed. We're like knocking on the interpreter's doors. Like, hey guys, we're coming in. We're checking your rooms. Like we're getting all our shit back. Uh, so it was just a funny story about, you know, care packages, but yeah, you know, it's, it's sending those care packages over. I remember when I got back home, I'd always ask the guys, Hey, what do you actually want? Because I want to make sure when you get this package, yeah. it's legit. Yeah. I was doing like pepper jerky. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. Orbit gums. That's out the that lasts longest for flavoring. And, uh, <laughs> farms, like Christmas packages were my favorite that I got like with the cheese and the, yeah. the meat. I was so we, we did that stuff, you know, gummy bears, um, all the stuff that I would want. And and we did that. But then we found out that um, after all these trips we were doing, like learn how to snowboard, downhill mountain bike, kayak, whatever that I could still do. And I was like, man, this is amazing. Uh, and I'm fortunate to be able to do this. And my wife had to go on the trips with me because I need what's considered a non-medical assistant. I still do to this day, like put my legs on and stuff. And um, we were able to say, hey, we're moving to Maine, where my wife's originally from. And we can do the same thing up here. So we built this massive retreat um out of basically nothing like it was an old rundown house that a lady had built uh back in 1929 uh, but now we host 
uh, eight families per week that have been fortunate to uh, we've been fortunate to show them like, Hey, life goes on, you know, be active. And they had to have some kind of physical limitation due to service. So it could be a car accident, say side while they're in, or it could be getting blown up like me, but something that limits them physically, as well as we have a post-traumatic stress program. We partner with warrior path that we, um, we host weeks for participants to come out and do this post-traumatic stress training and it's combat veterans and first responders, which is huge. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it was a slow, you know, I say like, oh, we did this and boom, it's done. It's been, you know, since 13, we started, we bought the property in 15, opened the doors in 17, made it through COVID, which is nice. You know, we didn't have to shut down like the foundation as a whole. And then we're just trending in the, the right direction, helping these families out. You know, I don't take a dime as a president and the founder and my wife, you know, on the board, she doesn't take a dime. Like we just, we just do it to give back and do the right thing. And mm -hmm. um, watching these and and see the possibilities that they still have or see other parents, you know, missing legs or arms or in wheelchairs or whatever. And knowing they're not alone. And these kids are like, like saying it's better than Disney world or Disneyland. And, and, um, you know, it's really cool that we can be able to do that stuff. So that's why I appreciate, you know, the donations that you're raising for the Travis Mills foundation. Um, and the thing is like, I didn't know, I don't know what it's going to be, you know, um, I'm not conceited the name after myself and we thought it was just going to be care packages. And then it's, it's expanded and morphed. And, and now it's this really great, um, a, you know, debt-free estate that we, we fundraise to make sure we can fly the families in and feed the families at no cost to them and show them a great time. Yeah. And, uh, I was just, I saw some pictures the other day, man, it's just beautiful, just beautiful of the, the front yard and, you know, where you guys have like the, the chairs and the fire pits where you guys take like the group photos and just looking at the American flag, like what a beautiful area that, that retreat is at. It's just beautiful land. And, um, you know, and with that, you know, what does, um, you know, and with these donations and stuff, you know, what is, you know, a lot of the money, you know, what does that money help you guys to do? Um, is that just like staffing and food and, and paying for these retreats and things like that? You know, how does this money go? Um, and how does it, you know, really help you guys? Yeah. So, I mean, we were fortunate to, um, have an 83 to, uh, 17% uh, ratio right now. We're trying to build that up and the donations go to, you know, flying the veterans in from all across this nation that we live in, being able to pay for the food, the programs, uh, you know, we partner with, uh, uh, horse barn. We have to partner with a few other offsite, you know, people or people that come on site, like, the, like there's, um, uh, they do like a combat, like a wheelchair combatives or whatever. Oh, wow. It's, but it's kind of fun, right? It's, it's like people are like, oh, I don't know about that, but then it turns out being really fun. Um, we do yoga, uh, just just a bunch of different things. So the funding goes towards, um, you know, some of the staff, but you know, staffing stuff we have going on. But we have a really good eighty-three to seventeen percent ratio that should be going up now that our big building we we built. We have an indoor pool and fitness center, and it's cool. Our uh, vice president of programs, if you will, um, she was a therapist at Walter Reed that has been with us since day one friends of ours <coughs> sorry in her um you know she has like basically built a mini kind of walter reed clinic where she can show people how to adapt gym equipment to their injuries and their situation instead of trying to buy adaptive equipment which is usually three times the price yeah. um and the chance and now look i need to work out more too i know that um and maybe one day i'll actually take my advice and do it but Luckily, I have you guys to send me some workouts so I can I can get personally tripped up by, by all your wonderful uh, there. Hey, absolutely. I'm down. Um, and then with that, you know, since we are, we all that's what we do. You know, what does um because I know in the book you kind of talked about some of the things that you started doing, right? To get outside, get active, right? The the mountain biking, snow, you know, snowboarding. Um, you know, since writing the book, because that book came out what 2015, right? Am I correct? Yeah. What have you maybe started learning now? Like, what do you, what other things that do you do now? And I know you said one of the hardest things for you to do uh, at that time was just to sit up from a seated position. You know, are there other things that you have kind of like mastered, figured out and uh, what other um, activities have you learned to do uh, and when it comes to working out? All right. So I'll tell you right now what I'm really good at. Uh, I'm really good at being a dad. Uh, I have a lot of that. Like, you know, we had basketball last night. We have gymnastics Wednesday. We have karate tonight for for my son. I have another kid, another child. My son's five. Oh, congrats! Name, thanks. Uh, so the next were Daniel and Alexander. Um, so we named him Dax because they made it possible for me to live that day. And my wife says we're done having kids now. I was like, fine. As long as I can prove I still could, I don't care. But, <laughs> uh, but and I like how you cover that in the book too. Hey yeah, guys, yeah. It all, it's all good, man. Everything still works. <laughs> yeah. But as far as activities, like um, I. 
I don't do much. Uh, I'd be a dad, jump on the trampoline, but I also travel 120 days a year because I'm a keynote yeah. speaker at my own consulting company. And then I uh, own a, uh, when I say I own, I mean the bank owns a marina that my buddy and I bought. You know, they tell us what it's worth. And it's like, oh, it's only worth that much. Great. We'll take it. And then we, they charge me interest so I can pay more than it's actually worth to say that it's mine. It's awesome. <laughs> and I had that for about seven years. So it's not a freshwater lake, um, 30 rooms, cabins, and cottages, and um, 180 boat slips, and some boat rentals, and a cafe. And next to that, I just opened a restaurant um, with uh, three of my buddies. Again, another thing with the bank where I pay more than what it's worth uh, to make sure I can have a restaurant. But, you know, I'm just fortunate, like I said, to still be around and and do that stuff. Now, I, you know, I know nobody watching or listening can see this, but I I did set up a garage like gym. Yeah, that's a legit setup. I need to use more of, you see the purple equipment, uh, uh, Planet Fitness when I have a business. And I, uh, up some of the stuff but i need to use it and that's like you know that's that's where i gotta start <laughs> but yeah. maybe today maybe today's the day of talking with you that's probably what's gonna happen dude get after it you're right there man right after this phone call turn around you got it yeah. you ever you ever heard of a high trainer machine high trainer no yeah a lot of nfl teams use them and and like professional mls teams is a canadian machine and it's like it's like it looks like a treadmill but it's like with magnets and resistance and the guy named brian just yells at you the whole time um and it's like three hours that's like three hours on your lungs i got one of those i need to use it more i need to use it and then i can say i need to use it more after i start using it again but uh, but anyway so so yeah i you know my wife will go skiing with with the kids um i need to work i I mean i definitely need work on like trying not like i just there's a company that uh called rebel for good and it's a clothing line rebelforgood.com that I just haven't went hard launching yet. I went soft launch with it. And then Veterans Day, we're going to hit real hard with it. But um, we're giving 15% back of all the shirts and hats and bracelets and stuff we sell to different nonprofits. It's about giving good, um, being, you know, like like doing better with companies. So I just started that company and a few other ones. So, and again, yeah, talk about a serial entrepreneur, man. You're just all over the place. Yeah, I have a, yeah. No, I was in Afghanistan. Yeah, my arm was here. My leg was there. Was crazy. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, my, my speaking is how I kind of, um, I'm able to, to go after all these businesses. I, I speak for a lot of fortune, you know, 500 companies and I do, I cap it at 50 a year. And when I'm home, you know, I take my kids tubing, I go in the pool with them, but, uh, as much as those extreme sports as I tried and I, you know, I'll get back at them just, uh, mm-hmm. now it's like, now it's full dad mode. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Man. Like I say, every life has phases, right? And I always tell that to everybody, like you're going to have phases where working out is a part of that phase and you're going to be getting after it. And then there's going to be phases where, man, you got a lot of other shit going on that's important to you. And sometimes, you know, that's why I always say like that, there's no such thing as a work-life balance, right? Because at one point work is going to be up here and life is going to be here, but then it's going to be all life and less work, right? And it's just going to be, it's different for everybody. And it's, there's never that 50, 50, because some people don't want it 50, 50. Some people want work as 80% and life at 20%. It just depends on where you're at. And, you know, today might not, you know, like you said, today might be the day where that, that percentage shifts just 5% in the other direction, you know, and um, that's great. You know, and I know like, you know, you going out and talking and doing all your talks and stuff. I know that was big for you, right? You had, um, when you're in the hospital, kind of one of those things that kind of helped you, you had, a uh, someone come and visit you right in your room that I think he was missing both his legs. And you said he, he had, had talked to you and you were just like, that really like motivated you to understand that like, Hey man, it's all going to get better from here. Like I promise, like, you know, right now. And so like you going out and doing your uh, talks and stuff, it's just like you kind of giving back, you know, and you did that in the hospital as well yourself after you were kind of already kind of recovering, you got, you would go and visit the hospital and talk to those guys that were going through that process. And, you know, it's just kind of like being able to, um, it's amazing what just words, right. And speaking with people and sharing your story, um, you never know how that's going to affect people. Well, definitely. I mean, Todd nicely was the second ever quadruple amputee. He saw my story. Uh, he flew in from Missouri at his house to let me know I'm not alone in this. And that meant the world to me. And then I went yeah. and talked to rooms um, that were injured. Like 112 uh, people came in while I was there for the 19 months of like with amputations. And um, you mostly were amputations at Walter Reed. And I would be the first one to tell him, hey, you're OK. You're not a bad person. Like these are the thoughts you might have. This is what we're going to do to get through this. Um, you know, then I got asked by um, Lockheed Martin to speak at the National Science Convention. And I was on Lockheed Martin stage, not the main stage. And uh, Bill and I, the science guy, was in the same slot as I was, but had to walk past me to get to Bill. And I stole all of his people. Like they all were like, <laughs> oh. So, 
I decided that maybe speaking something I'm, I can be good at, um, but it's also something I really enjoy. And, you know, the truth is, if I didn't like it, I wouldn't do it. Um, I'm kind of in that, that situation um, where, yeah, I want to hustle and I want to grind, but I can spend my time doing things that I actually enjoy, uh, which is nice. And I know it may sound arrogant, but um, I do enjoy speaking. And then it's cool because, you know, of course, I got a speakers bureau and whatnot, and it all goes through there. Um, but the companies that I speak for, a lot of times, they'll – they're like, oh, wow, you do that? Let's do a fundraiser right now. And sometimes I'll raise $100,000 in the room. Sometimes I'll raise, you know, an extra $10,000. And sometimes I just get online, like, you know, online sales of, of different shirts or hats that go to the foundation. So, you know, it, it, it's all cool. Like, it's all, there's a lot of synergy with everything I do. Um, and, and I've had people that come to visit the foundation that want to just see the property. Um, and they'll stay at my marina and then they'll go to the restaurant. And, you know, I, I'm just grateful to have the support that I have. And, um. You know, I think, I think, uh, I, you know, I, I, you know, a lot of times that people wonder like, oh, good you had done and blah, blah, blah. Would you ever like take back getting blown up? And I'm like the first thing. Yeah. hundred percent. I would not want to get blown up. Uh, like the things that bother me, if I've really come to grips in terms of my life and, and think about it, are like, I can't throw a football to my son. Right. I can't mm-hmm. kick a soccer daughter. I can't hold my wife's hand. Um, and that stuff kind of sucks, you know what I mean? But then you look at all the things I've been blessed to, and able to do and you just, you know, you reassess and you regroup and you go forward. So the things I can't do, uh, I don't let that weigh me down because of the things I can do. Like today, I, I dropped my daughter at school. I drove out to the foundation property, had a meeting. I drove back here. I got another meeting coming up and uh, two or three more phone calls and, and meetings today. I got a knockout and I live a pretty normal life besides from arms and legs being gone. I, I'm you know, live a pretty typical life, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trev. So what I'll do, man, um, respect your time and give you some, a little bit of buffer time before your next meeting. Cause I know I always appreciate a little I, time between. I wasn't uh, saying that. Man, I, I'm fortunate <laughs> to. I, I know, I, man. I, you're just, you're kicking me off. You're kicking me off. I know. That wasn't even a nudge. That was, that wasn't, that wasn't a nudge or general nudge or anything. That was just me saying, I'm fortunate to still be able to operate uh, in a normal capacity. And, my, you know, my wife sometimes probably gets a little bit frustrated because I'm constantly doing something, but at the same time, I think that's part of my, uh, healing, you know, yeah. or my recovery, having to do something. Yeah. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, I might, as a kid, I would wake up at six 30 on a Saturday. My dad and mom would wake us up and we'd go to work outside around the house, you know, and, and it was never a bad thing, but I just, I, I wasn't wired to sit still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know if it was because I was Cav and you were just like, you know, you know, I, you look, being I, I heard it earlier, okay? And I wasn't going to yeah. dive into it for your service. I was going to say that at the very end, but thank you for your service. Yeah, I just, you know, you'd be an infantry, be like, I'm going to kick this Cav guy off, man. I'm done talking to this guy. I was you. I was <laughs> yeah, I know. Cav. Yeah, you were. Yep, yep. And How'd you like the Cav guys? Oh, great guys. Um, So this guy, Sergeant Mills, who they called Little Mills because I was Big Mills, and he was always mad. He's like, I'm 6'1", 205 pounds. Like, well, you're not 6'3", 250. And- <laughs> All these cab and infantry, we had coin platoons, right? Counterinsurgency platoons, they call them. So they have two infantry squads and two cab squads. And we all got along because back when it was just Charlie Troop, there'd be a lot of fights. Um, and this guy, Sergeant Mills, we were the same rank. Both these sixes, both great guy. Uh, still, you know, still is. And it just so happens that the one day these guys were going back and forth about what's better, cab or infantry, blah, blah, blah. And you know, I would stay out of it. I would stay out of it, let it go, because I was a staff sergeant. Well, yeah, I never got into it either. Yeah, the other Mills jumped in and said something, and um, and he, he ch- chimed in. I said, "All right, guys, all right, all right. Since you want to do this, we'll play this game." I said, "Everybody, gather around. Let me tell you why the infantry is better." I said, "Every single cab unit, right? They have infantry guys in it to show them how to do the right thing, how to wipe their nose the right way, and how to go about, you know, everything they need to learn." I said, "Every single infantry unit has no cab guys in it because they're not needed anymore," and. I said, infantry has been around since the beginning and will always be around. Whereas cab guys, it's more about just the, the history and keeping up the look. And boy, I tell you what, all the infantry guys are like, Oh, <laughs> he, goes, he goes, he goes, why would you even say, why would you even say that? I'm like, well, why did you get involved, buddy? I said, if you yeah. got a bottle, go for it. And of course we all do a, the, the job you know we all do the job and i mean the cab the air cab guys down in fort hood that's impressive i freaking i love that uh history of that and you know i went infantry because they offered twenty four thousand dollars signing bonus yeah it wasn't yeah. it was nothing else except for like they offered the most money to me and i was like i'll take it because i gotta pay back some student debt but uh yeah boy that other you know andrew sergeant mills 
Uh, he was mad that day because like there was nothing he could say to rebuttal that because every cab unit had a Charlie troop for like a lurch team and every infantry guys had their own like Delta, you know, troop. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and I, and I don't mean it when I said it, I didn't mean it then. I didn't, you know, and I don't mean it now. I mean, we all do our, like the ring route people in, in the headquarters, they gotten more firefights and um, usually like more pop shots and stuff like that doing the ring rounds, like the cooks and the supply. Everybody's a soldier at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's just part of the banter, right? That's all some people don't understand the military. Like, why do you guys make fun of each other all the time and pick fun? I'm like, that's just a part of it, right? That's just part of the camaraderie. Yeah. That's how you get through the shit together. You make fun of each other. Like the Marines eat crayons, right? It's just, it's just what we do, right? And at the end of the day, when we're on the battlefield, it's it's one team on fight and, and that's just what it is. And I remember I got so much shit as a cab guy because I, uh, when I, I volunteered to go to Afghanistan with an infantry unit, my, uh, I was in the guard and my, um, my buddy's uh, uncle was a first sergeant in the massachusetts national guard and we had just got back from iraq and i was home for a couple months and his uncle had reached out he's like hey guys we need some more guys to go to afghanistan we need to buff up the unit you guys want to go i know you guys just got back but you guys want to go and um so ultimately we decided like hell yeah let's go so i was me and like one other guy were cab guys and so after we had um you know we obviously we got there we got into gotten into some ticks right and everyone's getting their cibs and, and man, how much shit did I get for getting the CAB, right? The combat action badge, not the combat, combat infantry badge. It was just, you know, a funny running joke, right? About, you know, this one looks so much nicer. Look at this. And, you know, everyone everyone else gets the CAB, but we only get this. I mean, it was just, you know, you, you heard oh, yeah. it all, but it was, it was just a good time. It was always a, it was always a good time, you know, with those guys. And at the end of the day, you know, um, like you're saying with the cab and infantry, it's just, you know, we're, we're trained in the very similar tactics and um, it's pretty much the same thing now. And, you know, like you said, the history is what kind of makes it a little different. Um, you know, I was kind of hoping when I joined the cab, I was gonna be riding horses with a sword and shit. Like that's how the, that's how the recruiter got me $20,000. Like he got you at 24 grand. I got 20,000 enlistment bonus in 06. And they're like, yeah, you can become cab, go to Fort Knox. And I'm like, sweet. I get to like ride horses and like carry a sword. Like, I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> but that wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad that you said combat action badge because I'm pretty sure there's a different acronym that people use. And I'm like, I, th I didn't know if you heard that one, but we don't got to get into that. <laughs> we'll leave that. But, we'll leave that for another time. But that's the thing. Like we all do our part and, you know, and then the armor, like, um, like the tanks and all that cool stuff. I mean, look, and you get to wear the, the Stetsons. I mean, they let me like, they were like, Oh, you can have a Stetson and you put your infantry badge on it and the blue disc or whatever. And I'm like, uh, I'm just jealous. I'm just jealous of those dang Stetsons. But yeah, uh, and the Spurs, right? You see the guys with the Spurs on their boots. Oh, you know, yeah. it's a it's a cool get up. It's a, no doubt. Yeah. But so, um, but no, I, I didn't. You know, I just that was just a comeback that I had I had worked on because all the back and forth with the Cav and infantry yeah. guys. While I was in two two deployments with the Cav guys, right? Yeah. They needed to yeah. plus up the at first, and then we had coins. So. So no, we all do our part, and and you know some of the some of the like I said, the cooks and, and supply and people that do the ring routes, they 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 they're the ones out there blown up and shot at the most. And I don't mean to everybody that's like a mom listening to this that has like someone in the supply, yeah. um, thinking their kid's safe is safe, but you know everybody did their part. So it is what yeah. it is. Yeah, we had a, unfortunately we had a a guy that we were we, I was part of a. Um, like a PRT team. So, you oh. know, provincial reconstruction team. So we had guys, you know, air force Navy, you know, a bunch of people that were never going to leave the wire. And uh, there was this one kid as we were, we were in Jalalabad, just to hop on the Chinook to head over to Nuristan. And as we got closer to our final destination, this one guy in the air force was just, uh, he was just getting, you could tell he's just getting really, really nervous. Cause you're knowing we're going to this outpost. He had heard things about this outpost and he was just getting really nervous. And we were in Jalabad just waiting for our Chinook and we're just sitting there and I see this guy getting really nervous and a bunch of my buddies were just like, you know, we need to help this guy out. Like he's just getting really, really nervous. And he was just going to be on base. And he was one of those um, like raid towers, you know, remember those like big towers with the big ass cameras oh, yeah. on them that could see way down the Valley. So yeah. he was just a guy that would work on those. Right. And he would just work on those cameras and, and, and do that shit. And like, Hey man, you're going to be good. Like you're going to be on base. You're going to be helping us out with those cameras, helping us protect the base. Like, you, I mean, you're going to be good, man. Like you're going to be good to go. And he was actually one of the first guys he passed away due to, uh, that fucking, he was working on that raid tower and that raid tower snapped in half and it oh. hit him in the head. And yeah, that ended up killing him. Um, this massive raid tower collapsed on him. And I was just like, what in the world? Right. Like we just get done like weeks earlier telling this dude, he's gonna be good, man. Like, and to see like this, you know, some random act of this raid tower, you know, snapping in half when he was working on it. One of the guidelines like broke and it just like, was it just a complete disaster. And I was just like, man, like, what a, like, I just, you couldn't even like, you couldn't even put words to it. 
it was just, un, you know, I just felt so bad for the, for that whole situation. Oh, know, after, definitely. after I just tell the dude, he's going to be good. You know, like that was like, oh, yeah. shit. Well, we, you know, the most random things happen. You know, I told my brother-in-law before I deployed, I said, man, it don't feel right this time. I don't know why, but I just don't. And, yeah. Uh, but just buckle up and you go. And then you yeah. hope for the best. You know, uh, it always mattered what the guys were doing if I had taken care of them. But uh, yeah. anyway, hey, look, I this, but I know I, now I actually have to say goodbye because we've had <laughs> such a, a great and, and uh, I apologize. But I hope everybody, um, you know, checks out the TravisMillsFoundation.org website, sees the work that we're doing, wants to be a part of it. And thanks for all you guys are doing. I do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome, Trav. I'm going to leave you with one question here. If you could put on a billboard, uh, you know, something on a billboard for the whole world to see, like a quote, a picture, whatever that may be. Like, what are you putting on that billboard for the whole world to see? So God, it still works in case you're wondering. Um, but, you know, because I like to give everybody a laugh. But more <laughs> importantly, um, you know, uh, never give up, never quit, right? That's my slogan. Ne yep. Never give up, never quit. And um, when people see me, they're hopefully inspired to know that life goes on and they make the best out of any situation. And uh, hopefully they'll live their life um you know like i do uh, with the never give up never quit attitude and no matter what task is in my way um i'll find a way to get around it or get through it or get over it or whatever and and we'll have it done so i guess my slogan never go never quit um and if i had a second option it would be you know you know it it, it gets better a lot of people can't see past you know what they're going through and they can't realize that life's going to get better. And for me, you know, no arms, no legs, thinking, why am I living through this? Uh, life's gotten better. And, yeah. and it always better if you keep if you keep trying. So, um, yeah, I guess I don't know gave me I, I gave you three slogans there, but uh, I know you said one. So there's a lot of billboards. Guess, so, yeah, I guess dealer's choice for you. But I hope you enjoy spot out beer because every time I'm in Wisconsin, I always get some. Oh, yeah. 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 Let me know if you need some. I'll get you. I'll get you some out there. Thanks. Appreciate All right, brother, it. man. Thanks a lot, man, for your time. I appreciate um, everything you're doing and um, appreciate your time and, and the Travis Mills Foundation. I'm excited. I'll update you on our total fundraiser um, amount. And um, just, uh, yeah, I look forward to someday making my way out to Maine and, uh, you know, volunteering for a weekend or something at the foundation and just being a part of it and just seeing it in action. Um, and so, yeah, congrats. And thank you so much for uh, for your time. Hey, absolutely. Thanks so much for your time. Hope you guys have a wonderful wonderful day and uh, appreciate everyone tuning into this and hey pleasure talking with you you have a good yeah. care <laughs> all right later man yeah, thanks for your service as always thank you so much for listening everybody i really appreciate every listen that i get with that being said if you have any feedback or any questions you would like answered on future episodes please use the link in the bio above to submit me a quick little voice message you could do right from your phone i would love to hear from you so thank you so much again for listening and have a great rest of your day